0: The Peter Shift Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by Indeed. You can trust Indeed as a hiring partner because they want the same thing that you do to find quality candidates. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash Peter. Offer valid through March 31st. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Truebill. $5 here, $10 there. Monthly subscriptions often feel like a great deal until you forget about them. Get your subscriptions under control with Truebill. Go right now, truebill.com gold. It can save you hundreds of dollars a year. Following up on Saturday's podcast, U.S. stocks have started out the week on another positive note after slight declines on Monday. All of those losses were reversed on Tuesday and we now have solid gains so far on the week for U.S. stocks. In particular, a lot of the beaten down stocks, the tech stocks had the most strength today. Look at the Cathie Wood ARK Innovation ETF. That was up about 4.7% on the day. But forget about that. Take a look at the meme stocks. AMC up over 15% on the day. GameStop up better than 30% today alone now there's no news on either of those stocks at least not that I know of and of course even if there was news it would probably be bad news so the news doesn't even matter when you're a meme stock all that matters is people start buying it and that's what we're having maybe some of it is short covering in these names because they really had pretty big declines but I think right now you've got this everything is awesome attitude that's not going to last long Even though stocks are soaring, they're not soaring to new highs. They're just soaring off their lows. I don't expect them to make new highs. I do believe they're going to roll over because they can't continue to ignore the carnage in the bond market, which really is the big story. Over the last two days, because bond prices got decimated on Monday and then they got clobbered again pretty good on Tuesday. If you look at where the yields closed on the 10 year US Treasury, it's two spot 373. On the 30-year, you're at 2.593. These are the highest yields of this rally, but the yields are still very, very low. In fact, I look back at the 30-year U.S. Treasury in 2008, following the financial crisis, and the lowest the yield on the 30-year Treasury rate got at that time, when the Fed slashed interest rates down to zero and you had this huge collapse was about 2.51 something, not even below two and a half. And we only got above two and a half yesterday in the 30 year bond market. So that's how low rates still are. Even though we've had this big rise, we're still really low in a historic sense. But of course, if you compare the US economy today to the US economy in 2008, there is no reason that interest rates should be the same now as they were then We're certainly not in the depths of another financial crisis, at least not yet, but the level of debt is much larger now than it was in 2008 inflation is certainly much much higher now than it was then in fact 2008 was the peak of inflation and then the financial crisis helped bring it back down so we were at peak inflation at 2008 we're nowhere near peak inflation now in fact as far as I'm concerned we're closer to the trough of inflation than the peak but given the fundamentals of inflation and debt and the prospects for much higher debt and inflation in the future 30-year treasury yields are ridiculously low at this price. Even though they've backed up quite a bit, they have got a long way to go. And that is one of the things that the market still doesn't understand is how much higher rates are going to go maybe the markets are still complacent about the move we've seen thus far because maybe they don't think there's that much left maybe they think we're almost at the end of where rates are going to go because they're locked in this low interest rate mentality and they don't comprehend the gravity of what's changed since the last time the Fed embarked on a tightening cycle because we're no longer in this world where the Fed can simply pretend that there's no inflation because inflation is so much higher now than it ever was at any prior point for the beginning of a tightening cycle. And the economy is also in a much more precarious situation than it typically is when the Fed is hiking rates. In fact, given what's going on in the economy, forget about how strong Powell claims it is, given what's actually going on This is the environment where you would expect to see the Fed coming to the rescue with rate cuts, but the Fed can't cut rates because they're at zero, so there's no place to cut, although now they're not at zero anymore. We're at 25 basis points, and it's also the time where they would be launching another QE program. Meanwhile, they just wrapped up the last QE program, and they're about to embark on a quantitative tightening program, specifically because- of the inflation problem that they can no longer ignore, that they can no longer pretend will go away on its own. They now have to actively engage in doing something about it. And so that's one of the reasons that this cycle is going to be very different than the ones that preceded it. And it's going to end very differently. But the markets are not bracing for that at all, at least not yet. And so they continue to ignore the backup in rates. But here's the thing. The longer the markets ignore interest rates going up, the higher they're going to go. Because the only thing that's going to stop rates from rising is going to be a pivot from the Fed. But if the markets are going up, then there's no reason for the Fed to pivot. Because remember, the only reason that Powell is confident that the Fed can raise rates and shrink its balance sheet is because Powell is convinced that we have this super strong economy. And one of the reasons for the economic strength is the stock market. And so as long as the stock market is going up, Powell has no reason to question that narrative that the economy is strong. And so the Fed can keep on tightening or at least keep on talking about tightening because it doesn't actually have to tighten in order to make interest rates go up. Interest rates go up simply in anticipation of the tightenings that the Fed is claiming it is intending to deliver. And so as long as Powell remains on this path, interest rates are going to keep going up until the stock market rolls over because the effect that higher interest rates are going to have on the economy, and it will have an effect on the economy. It'll have a big effect, but that effect is going to take longer before it becomes obvious to Powell or anyone at the Fed. If the market tanks, well, that's obvious right away, right? When the market is crashing, the FOMC members see that and that worries them. But the impact that higher rates are going to have on the economy is going to come about more slowly. And so by the time the Fed is able to acknowledge that the rate hikes have caused a recession, well, we're in a recession. But if the rate hikes caused the stock market to crash, then the Fed could think, oh, the stock market crashing is going to result in a recession, and we can preempt that. We can ease policy now to try to circumvent that process and make sure that the stock market crash doesn't lead to a recession. In fact, we'll try to reflate this bubble. We'll try to get stocks higher to recreate all that lost wealth, and hopefully that will prevent a recession from happening. That is the mindset of the Fed. So as long as the market ignores rising interest rates, interest rates will keep rising. But at some point rates are going to rise high enough where the market can no longer ignore it now I don't know what that level is but we're going to find out pretty soon because we're going to get there if you look at a chart of bond yields there is nothing to stop the market from going higher in fact I think we're headed straight for three percent on the 10-year The 30-year should be much, much higher than that. I mean, the spread between the 10-year and the 30-year is only about 20 basis points, which is absolutely ridiculous to think that inflation is going to be so low for the next 30 years that you're willing to loan money to the U.S. government At 2.6% for 30 years, why do that? I mean, if you're really going to be that dumb, why not just loan them the money for 10 years at 2.4%? The extra 20 basis point in yield is not worth an extra 20 years of inflation risk. Because if you're wrong and inflation really is a lot higher than you think, you're going to get clobbered for their extra 20 years because you have to wait 20 more years to get your money back. And so if inflation is going to be high, much higher than two or two and a half percent, if it's 5% or 10%, you're going to get destroyed waiting an extra 20 years while your principal is being destroyed at that higher rate. In contrast, what is the extra reward? What if it turns out that there is no inflation? Well, all you get is an extra 20 basis points or all you give up is 20 basis points by not going with a 30-year treasury and taking a 10-year treasury instead. So what idiot is gonna buy a 30-year treasury at 2.6 when you can get almost the same yield by buying a 10-year treasury? In fact, you can actually get a higher yield by buying a five-year treasury because the yield curve has inverted again. It did it briefly last week, but now the inversion is back. The yield on a five-year treasury is actually slightly higher than it is on a 10-year treasury. As I am recording this podcast now on Tuesday afternoon, the yield on the five-year is exactly 2.4 and the yield on the 10-year is exactly 2.38. So you get two basis points more. I mean, it's not the fact that you get more yield. To me, it's the fact that you have five years less risk because if it turns out that inflation is a lot higher than you think, well, you lose a lot less because you get your money back in five years as opposed to 10. And if you buy the 10-year treasury, you get less yield. The only reason for this, The only reason that you have this inversion between the fives and the tens is because the markets still don't get what's going on. The markets just assume that the Fed's rate hikes are going to cause a recession, which I agree, the rate hikes will cause a recession. The market then believes that the Fed will respond the way it's responded to these recessions in the past by slashing interest rates and doing more QE which means there's going to be a big drop in yields again. Rates will go back to zero because obviously if we have to cut rates again, they're going to have to go to zero because it's not like we're going to get very far above zero before the next recession kicks in. Even if we get all the way up to 2%, that still means that we got to go right back to zero because there's not a lot of distance between 2% and zero. And it also means the Fed's going to have to go back to QE because you're not going to get a lot of stimulus from a 200 basis point reduction in rates so the only real way to stimulate the economy now that we're addicted to the drug of quantitative easing is to come back with a bigger dose and by the way QE4 which I guess they're now calling the last QE I think that one was about six trillion dollars and the first three rounds were more like four trillion and if you remember one of my predictions that has now come true when I was talking about the fed going back to qe i said in advance that qe4 would be bigger than qe1 two and three combined long before the fed launched qe4 long before we had COVID, it was my prediction that the next time the fed had to go back to the qe well it would have a much bigger bucket and it would be bigger than the first three rounds combined That prediction has come true. Now, how did I know that the next time the Fed did QE, they would need a bigger dose than the last time? And that's because I know how the drug works. I know how when you use QE to inflate a bubble economy, the bigger the bubble, the more QE you need to reflate it once the air starts coming out. And just like with a drug addict that has a dependence on a drug, the longer you use the drug... The more of the drug you need. You need a bigger and bigger dose to deliver the same type of high because your body is used to the drug. Well, it's the same thing with stimulus. We now need even more debt to stimulate an economy that's already so over leveraged with debt. So when the Fed has to go back to QE5, which is inevitable, just like it was inevitable that QE2 would follow QE1, and it was inevitable that QE3 would follow QE2 and QE4, QE3, it is inevitable that we'll have QE5, right? We're gonna to continue to have ever increasing doses of QE until we overdose. Now, I remember thinking that QE4 would deliver the overdose and I was wrong. The economy was able to withstand QE4, so I guess it's gonna be QE5. Now, some people might think, well, what if it goes all the way to QE6? I suppose that's not impossible, but from my perspective, Based on the size that QE5 is going to have to be, if QE5 is going to have to be bigger than QE1, 2, 3, and 4 combined, which is my expectation, you're talking about a $10 trillion, let's say, QE5, taking the Fed's balance sheet up to $20 trillion. Is that even possible? Can QE5 be that big without delivering an overdose without it being fatal for the dollar because if it's not and we actually survive QE5 how the hell are we going to survive QE6 when the balance sheet's going to have to go to 40 or 50 trillion see at some point it has to come to an end there is no way it can go on forever it's just that the people who are buying these bonds the people who are in the market have no conception of this reality they somehow believe that it can go on forever. And they expect that when the Fed goes back to QE and goes back to zero, it's just going to be another cycle, just like the ones we've had in the past, except what's different this time is inflation. We already have a huge inflation problem that did not exist during the prior cycles. And so when the US economy tips over into recession, inflation is still going to be well north of the Fed's 2% target. And so there's no justification for the Fed to go back to zero and back to QE when we still have an inflation problem that has not been solved. And of course, if Powell and his buddies at the Fed really are committed to restoring price stability and bringing inflation back down to 2%, they have to ignore that recession. They have to ignore a bear market in stocks and bonds. They have to press forward and continue with their tightening policy if they really are committed to fighting inflation. You may be ready to take your business to the next level, but you'll need the right team to make it happen. Indeed makes it easy to hire and build a team with the right skills to turn your dreams into a reality. If you're hiring then you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, hoping to find candidates with the right skills, why not use a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all? Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. They help you find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a job post you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away plus you only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements in fact that's one of the things i love about indeed it takes a complex hiring process and makes it a lot simpler with instant match over 90% of the employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search alone. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. The offer is valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com Peter to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. That's Indeed.com. Peter. Terms and conditions apply if you need to hire, then you need indeed. Now, I think what a lot of traders just assume is that, well, if the Fed makes the mistake of tightening too much, which is supposedly going to be a mistake, and the economy goes into recession, everybody expects the recession to take care of the inflation problem because they don't believe that we can have recession. And inflation at the same time, that somehow they're mutually exclusive. But again, that was the same mentality that we had in the 1960s and 1970s, which is why they were so surprised when we had stagflation. In fact, that word didn't even exist until the 1970s. They had to invent it because nobody thought it was possible until we experienced it. Because according to Keynes, right, those two things didn't happen at the same time. Well, Keynes was wrong. And People have short memories because now they think maybe stagflation was a one-time phenomenon. It's something like the leisure suit. We had it during the 1970s and it's never coming back. Well, stagflation is coming back. Maybe not those leisure suits, but stagflation 100% not only isn't coming back, it already came back. We're already in it. It's just that we don't accept it because of the way that we're measuring GDP and understating inflation. If we had an accurate measure of inflation, inflation would be much higher, growth would be much lower, and it would be obvious to everybody that stagflation is already here. you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, it will be obvious to more people as it gets worse, but that's what's going to happen. And that is the difference. And that is why this cycle can't be like the last. Because when the economy slips into recession, the Fed can't, go back to QE. I mean, it can, but not without sending inflation into the stratosphere. And that will weaken the economy even further. Because what's pushing the economy into recession in the first place is inflation. And therefore, you can't cure a recession that's caused by inflation with more inflation. You have to get rid of the inflation. But stamping out the inflation means making whatever recession we have worse. Yes, That's the bitter tasting medicine. Any recession that's caused by inflation is going to have to get worse as the Fed continues to fight inflation because interest rates are going to have to be much, much higher than they are right now to even make a dent in inflation. As I said, the yield on the 30-year now is barely above the low watermark that it hit after the 2008 financial crisis. Remember, before that crisis, yields were just below 5%. I think the yield on the 30-year U.S. Treasury was about 48 we should be much higher than that right now if the economy really is as strong as Powell claims and the inflation problem is clearly much bigger than any inflation problem we would have confronted back then what is the justification for interest rates being so low it's simply because the market is still under the perverse Impression that nothing has changed and that the Fed is going to be able to get away with keeping interest rates near zero indefinitely. That yes, every once in a while, we're going to have to start a small tightening cycle where rates go up ever so slightly. And then eventually the economy turns down and the Fed is able to rescue everything with another round of quantitative easing. In fact, look at the TIPS market, which is the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. If you look at where the TIPS are, for a 30 year US Treasury, the nominal yield there is just about zero. It's 0.04. And if you buy a regular 30 year Treasury, you're getting 2.6. So, what does that imply about the market's expectations for inflation? It means that investors are expecting over the next 30 years, inflation to average 2.5%. So, they think it's going to average above the Fed's 2% target, but not that much, 2.5%. What kind of crazy expectation is that when you're talking about a 30-year time horizon to think that the Federal Reserve is going to be able to maintain an inflation rate of 2.5% when right now it's 8%. How would anybody expect the Fed to be able to succeed given the enormity of the debt problem that we have, given where we are with entitlements, where Social Security and Medicare and Obamacare and all that, given the fiscal time bomb that's clearly going to go off, When you're talking about a 30-year time horizon, to assume that we're going to escape this without experiencing any major depreciation of the dollar, any major run of inflation reveals a complete lack of understanding on the part of the investors who are buying these bonds. I mean, think about it. Even if you didn't know, why would anybody buy a 30-year treasury at 2.6% when you can just buy a tip? Because the break-even, again, is 2.5%. And what the break-even means is kind of where you're indifferent. So if you pay up to buy a 30-year tip, and inflation ends up being less than 2.5%, you're a loser. Because you would have made more money had you just bought a regular 30-year treasury, and not bought the insurance. Because what the tip gives you is some insurance. Because in case inflation ends up being higher than what the markets expect, the insurance pays off because you get the extra payment to make you whole for inflation. So if the break-even is 2.5%, do you want to take the over or do you want to take the under? It seems clear. You'd have to be an idiot to want to take the under. It's so obvious that inflation is going to average more than 2.5% over a 30-year time horizon, that there is no reason not to buy the tip. There should be zero demand for regular U.S. treasuries when you can buy a 30 year tip with a break even of two and a half percent inflation. Now, I'm not recommending that people go out and buy tips. I'm just saying if you're dumb enough to buy a U.S. Treasury at all, and if you're so dumb that you want a 30 year maturity, then at least go for the tip. But I wouldn't buy it with my money because I don't think you get real inflation protection from a tip because it's linked to the CPI. And there's nothing that stops the government from altering the CPI. In fact, the CPI already doesn't give you a valid measure of inflation. I think the real inflation rate is double what the tips are. So you're still losing to inflation if you buy a tip. You're just not losing as much if you buy a regular treasury. But who's to say the U.S. government isn't going to make further changes to the CPI over the next 30 years so that by the time your tip matures, the CPI is not just understating inflation by half. Maybe it's only picking up 10% of the inflation. Maybe it's understating it by a factor of 10. So I'm not going to trust tips. It's like trusting the fox to guard your henhouse. The government creates inflation and the government creates the CPI. The government is in charge of how the CPI is configured. So it's like a little kid grading his own report card. I'm not going to trust those grades. So I'm not going to trust the government to give me honest inflation numbers, especially when they're on the other side of the tips, because the lower they tell me inflation is, the less they have to pay me on their bonds. So the government is not exactly a neutral party. If the CPI was created by a neutral third party, that would be a different story. But when the government is the obligor on the tips, and the government also gets to calculate the CPI upon which those payments are based, I want nothing to do with that. I would rather have a real inflation hedge I would rather trust a free market instrument to hedge me against inflation that's one of the reasons I like dividend paying stocks stocks of companies that have pricing power where they can pass on their costs to their customers and recoup the inflation and share it with me in dividends that's why I like real money I like owning gold and silver that's inflation hedge you can trust because it's not based on the government it's not based on the government telling you what inflation is gold and silver will know what inflation is now they may not pick it up on a daily basis or a monthly basis or even sometimes a yearly basis but over extended periods of time your purchasing power will be maintained if you store it in gold and silver it will not be maintained if you store it in tips it's just that you'll lose even more if you buy the non-inflation protected securities but the fact that the markets are still assigning such a low break even shows you how completely clueless all these investors are and why the entire yield curve is a complete joke. None of it makes any sense, given the reality. Now, it's all been distorted by the Federal Reserve and other central banks doing quantitative easing. But according to the Federal Reserve, it's out of the QE game. Now, we know it's not, and the markets are correct to assume that At the first sign of trouble it's going to be back to QE but my point is it won't work this time it only worked before because we could pretend there was no inflation there will be no way to pretend that the next time around Which is why the next time the Fed does QE, the dollar is going to crash because the markets may have been dumb, but they're not going to be that dumb. They will be able to see through what happens when a Fed is throwing gasoline deliberately on an inflation fire that it never succeeded in putting out. Subscriptions really add up. And sometimes we don't even notice the monthly deductions coming out of our bank accounts. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you no longer need or simply forgot you had. On average, people are saving thousands a year using Truebill. See all your subscriptions in one place, keep the ones you want, cancel the ones you don't and do it right from the app. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to do it yourself. No talking to humans, no difficult conversations. Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped them save over $100 million. Like Becca L, who said, hands down, the best financial app I've ever discovered. In my first week, I opened up 187 in unused recurring subscriptions. Now I'm obsessed. I never want to manage my finances without Truebill again. In fact, it really comes in handy for me as well because... It allows me to see every oversized charge that takes place on any of the credit cards that I've linked to my Truebill account. That means it helps me keep better tabs on my wife because I know exactly what she's spending money on. So hopefully that makes her think twice before she buys that next pair of shoes. Although perhaps that's just wishful thinking on my part. So start canceling your unused subscriptions today at Truebill.com gold. Go right now, Truebill.com gold. It could save you hundreds of dollars a year or in my case, maybe thousands. What really sparked Monday's carnage in the bond market was a speech that Powell delivered before the National Association for Business Economics. And that speech was interpreted by the markets as being some elevation of hawkishness on the part of Powell. And that's because he spoke more openly about the possibility that he may support 50 basis point rate hikes as opposed to 25 basis point rate hikes. In fact, after the speech, Goldman Sachs began to forecast two 50 basis point rate hikes in 2022. And in fact, Powell even suggested that if the Fed needs to be more restrictive, it will be. If the Fed needs to take rates above neutral, it will. Now, I didn't interpret these words as being anything new because all Powell said was that if we have to do this to fight inflation, then we're going to do it. Well, Powell already said the Fed will do whatever it takes to fight inflation. So I'm pretty sure doing whatever it takes encompasses Anything that he said yesterday. It's just that when the markets hear it again, or maybe hear the same thought expressed differently, they take that as like a new tightening. And somehow people also look at the fact that Powell said this as some deliberate effort to further tighten. I don't think he has a deliberate effort to do anything. I just think every time he talks, he knows that he has to continue to pretend that the Fed is gonna do whatever it takes to fight inflation. And so if they have to hike by 50 basis points, they will. That doesn't mean they're going to because they can always pretend they don't have to do it. They can talk about whatever they want. They just don't have to do anything. The Fed can pretend that they're willing to go above neutral. That doesn't mean they actually will. In fact, they're probably hoping by pretending they will, they won't have to. But again, you have to remember that all of this is predicated on Powell's false belief that we have this booming economy because he spoke about that again yesterday during his speech. Powell is willing to do whatever it takes because and only because he believes the economy is strong enough to withstand whatever it takes. And it's not because we don't even have a strong economy. We actually have a bubble economy. And the lifeblood of that bubble is the cheap money that Powell is taking away. And for Powell to believe that he can take away the lifeblood and somehow this creature that he created is going to be able to go on living, it either shows you he has absolutely no understanding of the economy or he's just lying and he just knows that he's got to lie because it's a hell of a lot better than telling the truth. So he keeps on lying. But the economy has never been more addicted to cheap money than it is right now because money has never been as cheap in the past as it has been in this recent cycle the fed has never kept interest rates this low for this long in fact even though the fed tried to raise rates before covid it never really succeeded in normalizing them rates only got up as high as two and a half percent and you know we didn't really spend much time above one percent if you look at from the first rate hike In december of 2015 and that was only 25 basis points and then the fed stayed neutral for another year they didn't raise rates again to a half a point until after trump won so you just had that one trump term where interest rates were going up and probably i didn't do the research on it but it was during trump's term where the fed went back down to zero so if you look at what interest rates probably averaged during the four years of trump Maybe it was around 1%. So you're talking about interest rates that have been at or close to zero since 2008. This is a long period of time to be force feeding that much monetary heroin into the economy. So we have this massive addiction. That's why there's so much debt. There's so much debt in the government sector. There's so much debt in the private sector. There's so much debt on individual balance sheets. There's so much debt on corporate balance sheet. Everybody is loaded up with debt. Why is that? Well, because the Fed made it so intoxicating. The Fed kept interest rates so low. In fact, right now, they're negative 8%. Even if you believe the government's version of inflation, but if you have a more realistic version of inflation, rates are negative 15%, who's not going to borrow money at negative 15%? Even if the cost of that money is 2 or 3 or 4%, you're still negative 10% plus. People are loaded up with debt because they're getting paid to take it on. The only way that you're going to bend this curve and change this dynamic is to start punishing people for taking on debt and rewarding people for saving and in order to do that you need a positive rate of interest but that is impossible and it's like almost everybody will concede that that's impossible there is no way given the level of debt in the u.s economy that we can ever have positive real interest rates and that basically means there's no way the fed is ever going to be able to effectively fight inflation and i know there are a lot of people who seem to think well the fact that we can't afford really high interest rates that's what gives them comfort that we're never going to get them because the Fed recognizes this. They know that we have so much debt that there's a limit to how high a rate we could pay. And so therefore, there's a cap on rates that the Fed can't move rates above a certain level because the Fed knows that that would crash the economy because we have so much debt. And so therefore, we're kind of protected by our own profligacy. But that's not true. It's not like you get a get-out-of-jail-free card on interest rates because you have so much debt. It's actually the reverse. The more debt you take on, the more vulnerable your economy is when interest rates eventually rise. The fact that we have so much debt doesn't mean that we're never going to have to deal with high interest rates. No, no. It just means that when we do have to deal with high interest rates, it's going to be that much worse because we have so much debt. We're not going to escape the consequences of all that debt. We're going to have to suffer them even more because of how much debt we have. And if Cal really does take that position that we can't allow rates to raise to a level that the market wants to set them because we're really not committed to fighting inflation. We're really committed to pretending we're going to fight inflation and we'll carry on that pretense only so long as the markets don't tank and the economy doesn't go into recession if the Fed is actually prepared to fight inflation and do whatever it takes then it has to allow interest rates to rise to a level that it knows we can't afford. And Powell has already gone on record of saying that we are on an unsustainable fiscal path and he said the only reason it's sustainable is because interest rates are so low well if he takes those low interest rates away then by his own admission we're unsustainable and that means a crisis and so Powell has to be willing to push the economy into a massive financial crisis where it's not just subprime mortgages that are crashing but U.S. treasury bonds that it's not just mortgage borrowers that are defaulting, but the U.S. government itself is defaulting because the government would have no choice. If Powell actually raised interest rates high enough to fight inflation, the government would be forced to default. There's no way the government could pay unless you believe that they're going to slash Social Security and slash Medicare and slash government pensions so they can pay off interest on the national debt. I don't believe that i don't believe the politics work out in the favor of our creditors especially since so many of our creditors are foreign and in fact the biggest creditor is going to be the federal reserve itself so i don't know that the u.s congress is going to cut social security so it can bail out the federal reserve i just don't think the votes are going to be there for that so default is going to be the most politically viable alternative in that situation Of course, the most politically viable alternative is not to be in that situation, and that's why the Fed is not going to do that. The Fed is not going to push the U.S. government to have to choose between paying Social Security beneficiaries and paying owners of U.S. Treasuries. They're not going to force that choice. The Fed is going to keep on printing and keep on monetizing, which is why the inflation problem is going to get so much worse. And all the people who think that the Fed is going to be successful in fighting inflation are wrong. And all the people who think that if we have a recession, that the recession is going to cure inflation, they're wrong too. The recession is actually going to make inflation worse. Taking a look though at some of the other markets, oil prices were very strong on Monday. I think the price of oil was up around $8, $9 a barrel. We were relatively quiet today. We settled just above $109 a barrel. I think that was about unchanged, maybe down a bit. Although overnight, we did trade above $113 a barrel. But more significantly is the oil chart. The chart looks extremely strong. Yes, we had that spike high above $130 a barrel. And as I said, after we hit that high and we had the initial big pullback, I don't believe that that is the high for this move. I think oil prices, as well as a lot of other commodity prices, are going much, much higher. In fact, the dollar was not up much at all in the last couple, Couple of days, despite the big increase in bond yields, what we had been seeing is the dollar following bond yields higher, but that's not really happening now. And that may be a good indication that the dollar has reached its top and that this rally has exhausted itself. Remember, most of the rally, I think, had to do with the safe haven flows as a result of the Russia-Ukraine situation and not really these interest rate hikes, because I don't think these interest rate hikes are enough to make a difference. And remember, interest rates are going up around the world. It's not just the United States that's seeing a backup in yields. We're seeing this all around the world.
2: What's the easiest choice you can make?
0: Gold was also pretty quiet over the past couple of days. In fact, the net change on Monday and Tuesday is maybe up about a dollar. We had a nice gain on Monday of around $13, $14 and we gave up about $13 today and that's why the market is barely up. But again, just like the bond market and in particular those treasury inflation protected securities, gold is dramatically mispricing inflation because if the bond market is expecting two and a half percent inflation over the next 30 years, the gold market is basically built on the same expectations because it's the same investors. Investors have the option of buying gold. They can buy tips. And so the expectations that are in one market should be the same expectations that are in another market because obviously if the gold investors believed that inflation was going to be substantially higher than two and a half percent they would be willing to pay a lot more for the price of gold or alternatively they might snap up those tips at such a big discount because they could see clearly in the tips market that there was an arbitrage opportunity there because if inflation is going to well exceed the 2.5%, there's some money to be made by buying these tips. Obviously, a lot of the money is fungible. It can go into whatever market has the opportunity. And so if one market is mispricing an event, money can simply flow to that market from the market that's not mispricing it. But you would assume that all the various flows will result in all the markets ultimately pricing in the same expectation if that is the expectation that is held by the majority of investors now those investors are wrong you know just like leading up to the 2008 financial crisis or prior to that crisis with the subprime mortgages you had a lot of investors who were paying very high prices for subprime mortgages that they expected not to go into default. Now, those expectations in my mind defied logic, which is one of the reasons that we were shorting them. But the overwhelming number of people that were buying these bonds did not recognize that because they did not understand the fundamentals. They had a distorted conception of reality well the same is true today in the bond market and in the gold market by the overwhelming majority of investors now there are some investors who are buying gold because they understand that gold is mispriced that gold is as mispriced as the bond market because both markets have built in expectations about inflation that are wrong just like these mortgages the subprime mortgages built-in expectations that were wrong the expectation was that the borrowers were going to repay their loans because the expectation was that real estate prices were never going to fall and so even if borrowers defaulted it wouldn't matter because they would just sell the real estate and recover what they had loaned they did not understand the nature of the real estate bubble nor do investors today understand the nature of the current bubble that's why they are mispricing both bonds and gold because a lot of people keep saying hey peter you're wrong on gold because why has gold not moved more if there's really so much inflation why is gold still priced at 1920 dollars an ounce why isn't gold already 3,000 or 5,000. Well, for the same reason that the US government can still sell a 30 year US Treasury for 2.6%. The bond market has got it as wrong as the gold market now at some point investors in the gold market are going to understand what's going on in the bond market because as I've talked about in the past traders look at rising bond yields and they somehow interpret this as being a negative for gold because remember what's ingrained in the psyche of all the traders is rising interest rates Are bad for gold so when all these algorithms that have been programmed to trade these markets it's garbage in garbage out they've been programmed to respond to a rise in rates by selling gold and a drop in rates by buying gold because that's how they've been written because that is what the people who program them understand to be true but that really only applies To short-term rates and when you're talking about positive real interest rates when you're way underwater when you've got negative eight percent or five percent or ten percent whatever it is when you've got a big number following a negative sign you're in a whole new world because negative interest rates are always going to be bullish for gold it doesn't even matter how negative they are because any rate below zero is a positive For gold. And I think the real reason that bonds are falling and yields are rising is because of inflation. And bond yields are going to continue to rise as a result of inflation. Now, there are traders that expect the bond rise to come to an end once rates rise enough to crash the markets or tip the economy into recession. And so they feel the Fed will bail them out of their bond positions because they know eventually the Fed is going to have to reverse course. Powell is going to pivot. They're going to go from hiking rates to cutting rates. They're going to go from quantitative tightening back to quantitative easing. And everybody assumes, at least all the bond traders, that it's going to play out in the future the way it played out in the past because they don't understand how this game has changed. But bond prices are rising only because a more realistic assessment of inflation is being built into the bond market, but it's being priced in very slowly. Although on the scheme of things, the move that we're seeing in the bond market is quite rapid because bond prices don't normally move up this fast. But I think they would be moving up even faster if reality was setting in even quicker but it is if you look at what's happening on the charts this is a big move But there's a lot of room for this move to accelerate and get even bigger and get even faster. But the same thing should be happening in the gold market. Just like bond investors are just starting to realize that the bond market is mispriced, gold investors are going to come to the same conclusion. And I also expect then the break-evens on the tips to really start to increase. Because as more people recognize how much inflation there actually is, they're gonna see that there is a bargain in the tips and that is gonna siphon demand, whatever demand there is for the non-inflation protected securities to the inflation-protected securities. And as people are willing to pay more for that insurance because they're expecting more inflation, those break-evens are going to start to rise. And as those break-evens rise, that is going to be more bad news for the Fed because that's going to show that it's not just consumers who are expecting higher inflation, but investors. Because right now, I think the Fed takes comfort in those low break-evens because the fact that investors are not pricing in more inflation shows that the Fed's reputation is still intact when it comes to the bond market and the bond market actually believes the Fed's gonna be successful either because it raises interest rates enough to fight inflation or because it raises interest rate enough to cause a recession so the markets believe either the fed will solve the inflation problem or the recession will resolve the inflation problem now the bond market is completely wrong but at least now the bond market is sending a signal to the fed that it expects That inflation is going to go away well as those break-evens start to blow out and as they reflect a higher anticipation of inflation it will be obvious to the fed that inflation expectations are no longer contained and they're going out of control it should already be obvious from the perspective of consumers because consumers are already taking a far more realistic outlook on inflation than bond investors. And maybe that's because a lot of these bond market investors don't actually know what's going on in the real world. They pay more attention to what's happening in the fantasy world and pay more attention to what Fed chairmen say or government economists say or Wall Street economists and they don't pay as much attention to what's happening in the real world. That's where the average consumer lives. They're going to the grocery store. They're going to the gas station. They're seeing their increases in their insurance premiums in their rents they're seeing their cost of living surge and they have no reason to believe that that's going to change and so eventually the expectations for higher inflation that consumers already have it's going to spread into the bond market and then you're going to start to see a bigger increase in bond yields and a more rapid drop in bond prices. And ultimately, that is going to spill over into the stock market. As I said earlier in this podcast, the stock market cannot ignore what's happening in the bond market for long. I mean, you can ignore it for a while, especially after a big drop, you might get some type of a bounce. But if the bond market continues to deteriorate and rates continue to rise, which they will, the stock market is going to crash. Because as I said, the only thing that's going to prevent the bond market from falling is going to be a stock market crash because the stock market crash in the short run is the only thing that's going to cause the Fed to pivot and adopt a more dovish stance to monetary policy. Because as long as the stock market is going up, the Fed has no reason to change its tune. The economic data is not going to show up quickly enough for the Fed to alter its trajectory. The only short-term signal that the Fed's going to get to change gears is going to come from the markets and not the economy. But right now, the markets are waving Powell in, basically saying, yeah, keep those rate hikes coming, go forward with quantitative tightening, because the more you talk about it, the more the markets keep going up. He is getting the false impression that he can, in fact, raise rates. And it's actually reinforcing Powell's misperception that we have such a strong economy. And it's only because of those signals he's getting from the market and the misperceptions that he has on the economy that he's even talking about raising rates six or seven times, that he's even talking about 50 basis point rate hikes, that he's even talking about going above neutral. And so the only way to shake that belief is is for a wake-up call from the markets, and that's exactly what Powell's going to get. In fact, while investors have been asleep, they've already missed one startling sign that this time it is different with respect to inflation and the Fed's ability to get away with it. Because one of the reasons, and probably one of the main reasons, that the Fed was able to create so much inflation, meaning print so much money, and have it not manifest itself in the form of much higher consumer prices was our ability to export that inflation abroad to take the money the Fed prints and exchange it for the goods that the rest of the world produces in particular China we were able to outsource our production to a lower cost market and so even though we printed all this money the money wasn't in the U.S. bidding up consumer prices because we sent that money to China and in exchange they sent us goods that we could buy with the money the Fed printed and then China took those dollars and didn't use it to buy American goods because we weren't producing goods China used those dollars to buy treasuries or Mortgage backed securities, or they were invested, or China maybe used those dollars to buy oil. Maybe it bought it from Russia, bought it from Saudi Arabia, and then Russia and Saudi Arabia used some of those dollars to buy U.S. treasuries. Well, that dynamic is changing. That should be obvious. In fact, a lot of people are talking about that. In fact, we saw the negative consequences of being so dependent on an international supply chain with COVID, and we see the economic vulnerabilities. So there already is a push to try to resource some of that production or a lot of that production back to the United States. But of course, that means much higher costs if we're going to produce stuff domestically because the reason we stopped producing domestically and outsourced in the first place was because of cost. We were able to save a lot of money by shipping our production and our jobs overseas. And in the short run, that enabled the Federal Reserve to get away with all this inflation because instead of bidding up consumer good prices, the money was used to bid up financial asset prices. And everybody loved that because everybody thought they were getting rich. Well, now that they're waking up to the reality that it was an illusion as they're starting to see their cost of living go up. This is changing the game. And by the way, it's so much harder now to rely on foreigners to bail us out of this inflation because a lot of the cheap labor abroad is not nearly as cheap now as it was when we started outsourcing. But not only has the cost of foreign labor gone up, but raw material costs have now surged. In particular, the cost of transporting all those foreign goods back to the United States. In fact, we're now so reliant on foreign production with our trade deficit at all times record highs that our own ports are overwhelmed by the volume. We can't even handle all of the products that we now have to import because our economy is completely incapable of domestic production. So to the extent that we have to retool and try to start producing more domestically again, we're not gonna be able to export our inflation nor are our trading partners willing to continue to exchange their stuff for our money. You can already see that happening now and we are pushing the world further away from us with the current sanctions on Russia. We are basically reminding the Chinese in a very bold way the vulnerability of relying on this dollar system. So we are creating additional incentives for China, Saudi Arabia, other countries to start moving away from the dollar. Maybe the Saudis will start pricing their oil in gold and moving away from the petrodollar and by the way it was richard nixon who actually established that link because when he cut the dollar's ties with gold he knew that we needed to have the dollar backed by something if you couldn't get gold for your dollars at least you can get saudi arabia oil so by getting the opec nations to price their oil in gold He created a value for the dollar to replace the fact that you can no longer redeem it in gold. Well, if we now push the Saudis into pricing their oil in another currency, maybe Chinese RMB or maybe even in gold itself, We are going to dramatically diminish the ability of the Federal Reserve to create inflation and postpone the consequences by exporting it to our trading partners if our trading partners are no longer willing to import it. So we've been making this inflation bed for years, and now we're finally going to have to lie in it. And wrapping up this podcast, prices aren't the only thing that's going up. So is my age. Tomorrow, I'm going to turn 59 It's unbelievable. I've only got one year left and then I'm 60 years old. I have a lot of younger people who listen to my podcast and I want to leave you all with one piece of advice and that is enjoy your youth while it lasts because it doesn't last long. You know, it seems like just yesterday, I was 19 like my son Spencer, not 59. I don't know what happened to those 40 years. They came and went. Clearly... A lot has happened during those 40 years, a lot of changes in my life. But in my mind, it doesn't seem that long ago. The memories of my life as a young adult, 19 in my 20s, are still pretty fresh in my mind. I mean, obviously not every day, but the experiences, what it felt like, it doesn't seem like it was all that far away. And I guess in reality it wasn't because humans, we have a relatively short experience on this earth. Our lifetimes are not that long and it's very important to make the most of every moment. So make sure and take some time to smell the roses. And don't dwell on the mistakes of your past. Just learn from them so you don't repeat them in the future. Just remember, we can't change the past, but we can change our futures. And let's do our best to make sure our futures are as bright as possible. And while I spend my time on these podcasts talking about economics, finance, politics, don't lose sight of the more important things of life and make sure to maximize your time on this earth. Because while at times it may seem that you'll be young forever, you won't. And while I still feel young at 59, I know that father time is catching up with me. And I'm going to do the best I can to stay as young as I feel for as long as I can. And hopefully I'm still doing these podcasts for another 40 years. In which case, it'll be my 99th birthday And I hope to be around long enough to celebrate my 100th. And hopefully a lot of my listeners will still be listening. And I'm sure by then all of my forecasts will have long since come true. And hopefully we are living in a much better tomorrow than what circumstances would indicate lies in store for us. Hopefully over the long run, we'll have not only come to terms with the mistakes that we've made as a nation, but will have long since corrected those mistakes and will be enjoying the long-term benefits that will clearly have been the result.